0: All right, so many people, wonderful. Wow, it's a full house, great. It's been a while since I've had a chance to give a Dharma talk. So I'm very excited to be able to do so and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Glad you're here. This morning, I want to continue with the eightfold path, our topic for the last several weeks now. A path that, as Mado has described it from time to time, that leads to nowhere. So you might wonder, why are we on it in the first place? Sometimes when we talk about the path, we use the image of a wheel that has eight spokes on it. And we started some weeks ago with Right View. This is the first spoke on the wheel. We moved to Right Intention. We spent the past couple of weeks on Right Speech. And today our topic is Right Action, the fourth spoke on the wheel. And I'll begin by saying some things <clears throat> about Right Action and its neighbors right speech to the left and right livelihood
1: to the right. Right
0: livelihood will be a topic in the near future. Stay tuned. These three spokes on the wheel are often grouped together under the heading of sila. It's a Pali word that we typically translate as ethical conduct or moral conduct. It's also one of the six perfections of character, the six paramitas. The first two spokes on the wheel, right view and right intention are typically grouped together under the heading of prajna, which is wisdom. And the final three spokes on the wheel, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration are typically grouped under the heading of samadhi which is meditation.
1: hope you're paying attention. There'll be a quiz later.
0: <laughs> when we are concerned with ethical conduct, we are at the very least concerned with what we here at OAN call the 10 clear mind precepts. In other Dharma centers, you'll hear them referred to as the 10 grave precepts. And the precepts we've said time and again are to be understood not as rules, as things that can be broken or violated,
1: but as reminders, as
0: things to be observed. And they are, as Mato has put it in the past, expressions of a most natural and harmonious way of living. of behaving towards ourselves and each other, expressions of our innate, boundlessly compassionate nature. And so it's no surprise then that another Pali word, Samadhana, is often used alongside sila. Samadhana means harmony or coordination.
1: by cultivating and
0: practicing ethical conduct by observing the precepts captured by right speech, right action, and right livelihood, that we can help realize social harmony
1: here in the Sangha, in our lives outside of the Zendo, and psychological
0: harmony within ourselves that we cannot be at odds or in conflict with ourselves in various situations at various times. Right action is typically concerned with three precepts in particular. Precepts that have both what I'll call a prohibitive aspect, refrain, from doing something and a performative aspect, go out and
1: do something. The first is
0: to refrain from taking life or cultivating and encouraging life. You see the both, don't do this, but do this. Zenji, our first ancestor in Japan, formulates this precept in the following way. The Buddha seed grows in accordance with not taking life. Transmit the life of the Buddha's wisdom and do not kill. The second precept right action is concerned with is to refrain from stealing or honoring the gift not yet given. Here Dogen Zenji writes, the self and the things of the world are just as they are. The gate of emancipation is open. And the final precept that comes under right action is to refrain from abusing or misusing sexuality, remaining or being faithful in one's romantic relationships. And Dogen Zenji once more, the three wheels are pure and clear. When you have nothing to desire, you follow the way of all Buddhas.
1: You notice that Dogen
0: has a flair for the poetic. Now there's a lot that we can say about these three precepts together, about any one of them individually, about the way in which we tend to formulate them here at Owang, the way that Dogen formulates them, we could spend an entire lifetime on just one precept. We're not going to do that today, because we all have things to do. But I do want to spend the remainder of the talk this morning focusing on just one of these precepts, central to right action, and that's the precept to refrain from taking life. Cultivating and encouraging
1: life. Here at OAN, we practice in the lineage of Kobuncino Roshi.
0: And during a Dharma talk for a Nehan A sashim on the occasion of the Buddha's Parinirvana, the Buddha's passing, Kobun suggested that the precepts exist to cause a dilemma for us and a deeper understanding of what it is
1: to give and take life.
0: He reminds us that to sustain our own lives, we have to take the lives of others. And we do this either
1: directly or indirectly.
0: And from his point of view, it makes no difference. He says, even if we don't directly participate in taking lives, if someone else takes a life so that we can survive, it's the same thing. We're not just concerned with human lives for this precept, also non-human animals, insects. Sometimes when people hear about this precept, they ask themselves, does this mean I should become a vegetarian? or I should adopt a plant-based diet or
1: convert to a vegan lifestyle. In that way, I won't be taking lives in order to
0: sustain myself. No, you will. In order to cultivate the land in such a way that you can grow crops, you'll be taking the lives of insects even if you're not growing your own tomatoes, peppers, squash, whatever, somebody else is, and you supporting their doing so, you are contributing to the taking of lives. Insects, maybe you've displaced non-human animals for whom that was their natural abode. So whether or not you should be a vegetarian, I have no idea. But if you think that's gonna be a way to get out of this, nope, sorry. And
1: there's more. Mato
0: sometimes styles us as renegades out here in our little forest refuge. No doubt something we probably inherit from Kobun himself, who I hear was a little bit of a renegade. At least in the following way, I'm told that he challenged the traditional interpretation of this precept where it's concerned with just human beings, non-human animals and insects, what we often call sentient beings, things that have some measure of consciousness, awareness. Kobun extended this precept to all beings, plants,
1: Rocks, the ocean, the rain.
0: And so it's no surprise, at least to me then, that he says, if you extend the precept in this way, it's kind of an impossible precept to keep.
1: It's kind of an impossible precept to observe.
0: He would go on to say, it seems like the only way to do it is to die without food. To which I said, nope. Because then you're not cultivating and sustaining your own life.
1: Oh no, what do we do?
0: Because we as bodhisattvas vow to practice all that is good. To avoid what is evil, to embrace and sustain all beings. These are often called the three pure precepts to refrain from taking life, cultivating and sustaining life. So here is our dilemma. How do we observe this seemingly unobservable precept that is central to the practice of right action, that is central to the practice of ethical conduct? My friend and Zen teacher Kisei Amy Kostenbader Sensei recently shared with me that she's taking a class on planetary imagination, which sounds really cool. I'm trying to figure out how I can sign up. It's a class that explores the place of the imagination, dreams, and art in meeting the reality of the climate crisis. And she says that in this class, something they've been learning to do is praise the earth by engaging in a kind of imaginative exercise or activity participants are to imagine
1: that they themselves are guests,
0: are visitors on this earth, and that the earth belongs to the dolphins and the fish, to the mountains and the trees,
1: to the finches and the crows, and Wilbur and all the other animals and plants, the oceans. And so this got me wondering, I wonder what would happen if we did this? If we shifted the
0: way in which we approach the world, the perspective from which we view ourselves in relation to it and it in relation to us, how that might affect our behavior, our actions and speech
1: and our livelihoods. I find myself wondering how I would treat all
0: things, all of you, non-human animals, insects, plants, rocks, the rain. If I saw myself not as more important than them, but as a guest in their space,
1: as a visitor in their home.
0: Might there arise for us a way of observing this seemingly unobservable precept of practicing and cultivating right action of perfecting ethical conduct? The other day, as I was finishing this talk, I was trying to find some really cool way to wrap it up in a nice little bow. And I thought, you know, we usually walk on the meditation trail after the Dharma talk. And wouldn't it be cool if I invited people to take this perspective when we're on the meditation trail and we stop and look around? So I got all excited. I was like, yeah, that's gonna be a great way to tie off the talk.
1: <laughs>
0: and then this happens.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Mother Nature. <laughs> so now I don't have a nice way to tie off this talk, but thank you very much. <laughs> we'll stop recording. Camera turn power cushions to their places and